have your Bibles. Your Bibles. We're going to look in Deuteronomy chapter six. If you're visiting, there's a pew Bible on the rack in front of you, and the page numbers in your order of worship. Deuteronomy six. I'm just going to read verses ten through twelve as we get started this morning. Deuteronomy chapter six. Verse ten says this: When the Lord your God brings you into the land He swore to your fathers, to Abraham. Isaac, and Jacob to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then, when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. This is the word of the Lord. Um, many years ago, 24 years ago now, right after uh, Jonathan was born, he wasn't breathing. And so the nurse and the doctor grabbed him, quickly moved to the other side of the room and started working on him. And as that was going on, uh, you can bet that both Karen laying there and me standing there, we were praying. Why? Because we all know in a crisis situation like that, thankfully as they worked with him very quickly, they were able to get him breathing again and, and everything was fine. But in those, in those crisis situations, when, when things are going wrong, uh, prayer just comes naturally, doesn't it? You you lose your job. No one has to tell you to pray. You start praying. God, you know, I, I need you to come through for me. I need to, to find another way to provide for my family. You you go to the doctor and you get a diagnosis of cancer. Nobody has to tell you to pray. It just comes naturally out of us. Your, your child uh, starts getting a little sideways in the way that they're living. Nobody has to tell you to pray. It just comes naturally. But oftentimes, when everything is going well, Job's good, enough money in the bank. What do I need to pray about? The family's healthy and I'm healthy. What do I need to pray about? Sometimes when everything's going well, and I do think we have reason to pray in those situations, and we're going to talk about why this morning, but sometimes when everything's going well, we kind of let our prayer lives die, and prayer ends up being something that when everything is going badly, that's when we pray. If you have your sermon outline this morning, that's where we want to start this morning. And it's an ironic truth. And the ironic truth is this. The more God blesses us, the easier it is to forget about Him. The more God blesses us, the easier it is to forget about Him. So we have this passage here. It's an interesting passage in Deuteronomy. And, and to understand the context, this is God talking to Israel. Everybody knows, you know, they go down to Egypt. Uh, they're there for, for, for centuries. Um, and they're oppressed. We have the uh, the great deliverance that, that happens with Moses. And now as they come up into the promised land, now remember, of course, the promised land was inhabited. And so as you look at verse 11, end of verse 10 actually, when he says that you're coming into a land with large flourishing cities you did not build. What does he mean there? He means they were coming into as they were evicting those nations that, that had built up in the meantime and, and were doing great evil. As, the, as Israel came in and as they took over those cities, 
they didn't build those cities. They were coming in and enjoying the fruits of that even though they hadn't built those cities. Houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide. Again, as they came in, there were going to be houses that somebody else had built, but as they took over, they were going to receive them. Wells you did not dig. Vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. When Then when you eat and are satisfied. So he's saying, now as you all come out, it's been a long time in the desert, but now as we come into the promised land, it is going to be a place of, of, of great prosperity as I bless you. It's going to be a place of, of great abundance as I bless you. And yet it's interesting as he says that, look at verse 10, he's, or verse 12. He's warning them ahead of time. The end of verse 11. Then when you eat and are satisfied, and that's just a good analogy for the way that we want to live today. When we have eaten and are satisfied, I have enough. You know, my, my health's good. My income's good. I have enough in the bank. Everything's doing great. When I eat and I'm satisfied, then, okay, don't look at, at, at verse 12. Then, what we would like to say at the end is, and when you eat and are satisfied, you are not going to be able to praise God enough for all the blessings that He's given, for how good He's been to you. Your heart's just going to overflow with blessings for God, and you will not be able to stop praising Him and praying to Him because He's been so good to you. That's not what it says, is it? What's verse 12 say? When they eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. It's an ironic truth that oftentimes when God does bless us, when He answers our prayers and when we get that job, instead of relying on Him more, we rely on Him less. When everybody in the family is healthy, instead of thanking Him and praising Him, instead of relying on Him more, we rely on Him less. Oftentimes it is the blessings that cause us when we are living that life that we have desired to to begin to lay God aside. Now, I said at the beginning that that's not the way it should be, and it's because oftentimes, and it's exactly what 10, 11, and 12 are talking about here, it, it has to do with the reason in those moments as we come into that time and we are blessed and we forget God, it's because of the focus that we have of what we want out of life. That's the second thing. What do we want out of life? Well, the change that we need to make, and it goes right to that, is this. A comfortable life is not as good as a deep life. A comfortable life is not as good as a deep life. The reason that oftentimes when everything is going well, and it was true for Israel here, the reason when everything is going well that we don't keep praying and that we don't keep have that burden for prayer and that burden to go to God the way that we want is that what we want is not a deep life where we are really close to God and we have as much of Him as we desire and we are seeking to get all that we can of Him. But instead, often what we want is a comfortable life, isn't it? I want to have enough in the bank and I want to have everybody be healthy and if I have a good life that way, then I'm good. That's all I need. Well, the problem with that is you can be comfortable and a million miles away from God. You can be comfortable and not growing in, in your spiritual life. You can be comfortable and nowhere near where you're supposed to be. Let's look, um, keep your finger here, but flip over with me for a second to Revelation chapter 3, and I want to look at Matthew uh, chapter 6 for just a second. There's two passages that I think are important when it comes to this life. And I want to give some examples here in a minute of what this looks like. But what I want to try to push us toward this morning is instead of praying those prayers where we just want a comfortable life, 
that we would begin to pray prayers where what we are seeking is a deep life with God, where our greatest desire is not to, to achieve the American dream, but our greatest desire is to be an integral part of the kingdom of God. And we've talked before about the fact, you know I've said, the vision and the direction of the American dream and the vision and direction of the kingdom of God are two different directions. Because the, the American dream is all about material prosperity, it's all about physical abundance, it's all about th- this world, and what the kingdom of God is pointing us to is something that's very different. We're going to get into four examples here in just a second. But in, in Revelation chapter 3 and, and verse 17, the, the, the previous verse, you know, this is the church at Laodicea, and, and the previous verse is about whether lukewarm, and everybody knows that part of Revelation where he, he complains that the church is lukewarm. But look at 17. Revelation 3.17 You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. That hurts, doesn't it? That's a hard word. And what he's saying there is it wasn't imaginary to them. Like, materially, they were rich. They had acquired wealth and they didn't need a thing. They had received, if you want to say it, even though America wasn't even a vision back then, they had achieved the American dream. They had all that they wanted in terms of prosperity. And yet, as Jesus, and this is Jesus speaking um, here to the church, to the church at Laodicea, and yet as Jesus looks at them, that you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. He's speaking, of course, not that they were physically that way, but that they were what? Spiritually that way. They were spiritually wretched. They weren't where they needed to be. They were spiritually pitiful. They were spiritually poor, spiritually blind, spiritually naked. Now let's pause for a second before we go over to Matthew chapter 6. As we think about that this morning, and how much, if, if our prayer life is focused on being comfortable, is it possible this morning that when we are praying, and there's nothing wrong with praying for a good job, there's nothing wrong with praying for a family to be healthy, but when that's all that our prayers are about are the physical things, is it possible this morning that for some of us, we have achieved some level of that? We kind of look around and we're comfortable and we like where we're at, and that we're like, you know, man, I'm so thankful for the life that I lead, and we think that we're in a good place, even though we're kind of ignoring God because we're comfortable, that Jesus might look at some of us and say, you think that you don't need a thing, but in reality, you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. That you're nowhere near where you need to be. Now, okay, well, Jen, how, how does the material stuff, which I do need the material stuff, how does that coincide with the kingdom of God the way that you're talking about. I mean, I'm not supposed to live in a cardboard box. So how do I live that but also pursue the kingdom of God? Well, flip over with me to Matthew chapter 6. Because there's a verse there that nails it in just a few words. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is speaking about the way that we are to live our lives and the lack of worry that we are to have. And in Matthew chapter 6, He lays out the, the vision that He has for the way that we should handle the material side of life. And it's it's a beautiful vision that's very different than the way that we normally do it. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. It says this, Jesus is speaking again. And Matthew 6.33 says, 
But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. The all these things is what is referred to in the previous verses where he's talking about, you know, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? And so Jesus is referring back to those things. And so he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. In other words, what he's saying is that instead of focusing on the things of this world, and I need to have this, I need to have that materially, what we are to do is to focus, as he says there, on His kingdom, the kingdom of God, and His righteousness becoming like Him, as we focus on those things and say, God, my my main priority, my main desire is I want to be more like Jesus and I want to be a part of what Jesus is doing in the world. That's what I'm going to focus on. I'm going to put my attention and my vision there and that's what I desire to be a part of. As we do that, if we make that our main priority, Jesus has said, I'll take care of the financial stuff. Now, I'm not saying he said, I'm going to make you all millionaires, because that's Joel Osteen idiocy. But what I am saying is that when we focus on putting Jesus first, he he said he'll make sure that we have enough to eat. He said we'll make sure we have enough to drink. He said we'll make sure that we have enough to, to wear. And so he will take care of our needs. And so we are to focus on pursuing the kingdom of God first, putting what Jesus desires to do in our lives and in the world around us first. And he said, I'll take care of this other stuff which is a much better vision than us saying, oh, I'm, I'm worried about my job, I'm worried about this, I'm worried about that, and us taking that worry on ourselves. Instead, we delegate that to Jesus and say, He said He would take care of that, and instead, I'm going to focus on putting in my prayer life and in my life in general, I'm going to put the things of God first. And so as we do that, we then are able to see Him take care of those other things. So, that leads us back to the original question. And I want to give four examples. So as we think about our prayer lives, when we get comfortable, we just kind of forget to pray. If we instead want a deep life, if we want to be close to God, if we want to be as near to Jesus as we can be, how would that change our prayer life? What would be some of the things that maybe I would start praying about if that was my priority instead of just the material things and the the things of comfort? I want to give four examples this morning. We're not going to take the time to look up the passages. But I want to give four examples this morning of of things, if we are putting the kingdom first, and we're putting Jesus first, what our prayer life might start to look like. So let's look at these four examples. First steps on how to do that. First steps on how to do that. Number one, I want to advance His kingdom by seeing people saved. I want to advance His kingdom by seeing people saved. So, one of the things that we need to desire, and Bill Cook was talking about this in Sunday school this morning, is that as we recognize this morning that the the greatest thing in the world that can happen to somebody, the greatest thing in the world that can happen to somebody is that they meet Jesus Christ. That deserves more amens than that. The greatest thing that can happen to somebody is they meet Jesus Christ. And so, if I believe that, and if I believe that Jesus is the greatest thing that has happened to me in my life, then what I, one of the things I want to do is, is that I want, as I look around at my coworkers and my family members and others that don't know Jesus, then I want to be praying for them that they will come to the knowledge of Christ. And, and that's where we get into the good old Bible where we talked about a burden. That, that my prayer life isn't just about make my life easier and make my life more comfortable, 
but sometimes prayer makes our life more difficult in the sense that I'm taking on a burden. I have somebody that's a neighbor maybe that isn't safe, and I'm going to be burdened about that because I want them to come to know Jesus because I believe that the greatest thing that can happen to you in your life is that you meet Jesus Christ. And so as I begin to pray about that, I want to see that person saved. I want to see them begin to walk with Christ. And so we begin to, as we have times of prayer, I begin to focus on those around me who aren't safe and start to think about the fact that, that they need the Lord. I'm reminded of, um, there's a story uh, from one of the climbs of Mount Everest. I think it was 2006. There was a, a software engineer um, from Ohio who was one of the commercial treks going up Mount Everest, and he had made it to the top. And then he was coming back down. He was about a 1,000 feet from the top when he ran out of oxygen. And, of course, the way that they do it today, there's lots of people on those days when they can do it. There's a number of people going up and down. And this 43-year-old, I think, this 43-year-old man sat there. His oxygen was running out. Forty people passed him without helping him. And he died a 1,000 feet down from the from the pinnacle of Everest. Why? Because for those 43 people, it was more important to get to the top and get back down than it was to save that man's life. And for a lot of us today, it's more important to get to the pinnacle of American prosperity. It's more important to, to get that promotion. It's more important to, to live that lifestyle, to have whatever it is that we're pursuing. Instead of looking around and being concerned about those around us that are struggling and, and spiritually lost and don't know how exactly to bring their lives back together, and we need to be willing, instead of running after the material prosperity, to stop and say, I know the answer. The answer is Jesus Christ. And to be able to give that to them in a way where they recognize their need and are able to see salvation come to their life. Second thing. A second thing is this. I want to advance this kingdom by fighting an injustice. By fighting an injustice. Now, this could be something personal as we see a situation around us. It's, it's just simply seeing where something wrong is happening and wanting to step in and try to do something to right it. One of the greatest examples of that in our community right now is the Hero House and the way that they've stepped up. Um, you, I've told you guys before, in, in all that I've read about the Oxycontin uh, situation that's happened over the last few years, it's... It wasn't an accident. It wasn't, well, no one could see this coming. It was a deliberate choice by a company that had a drug they knew was not safe to push it as though it was safe. And the, the hundreds of thousands of people that are dying, that have died, are collateral damage of their greed and their evil. And as we see that, it's not our job to say, eh, too bad you got addicted. I, I hope you work it out, you know. Our church puts a significant amount of money into the hero house. Why? Because the people who have been touched by that injustice need help. And one of the ways that we can help is by helping the hero house, which is helping people get out of addiction and be able to live a life for Jesus Christ. And so we want to help them as much as we can. And so we invest money, some of our missions dollars, in the hero house because we want to be a part of that. We want to be a part of seeing those folks come out of addiction and come into restoration in Jesus Christ. And so as we look around, whether it's something personal or something larger, as we see Jesus Christ is working in the world 
against those things that are evil and against those things that are wrong. And He expects us to stand up also and stand against those things that are wrong and stand against those things that are evil. Again, it's not just about me saying, now keep all the bad things away from me. I just want my life to be comfortable. I just want my life to be easy. But instead, we are called to go out and where there is darkness, we are called to shine a light. We have to be willing to stand up to injustice as well. Third thing. Third example is this. I want to be like Jesus by living without that sin. I want to be like Jesus by living without that sin. So, one of the things that we need to desire as we pursue what Matthew 6.33 called Jesus' righteousness is that I want my life to be different. I, I was just talking to somebody the other day about the fact that so many people believe that Christianity is just about, okay, now I, I came to the altar and I said Jesus forgave me and now I can go live my life the way that I want to. No, that's not the way it works. If you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, then you should also believe not only do I want to be forgiven of my sins, but I want to be rid of my sins. I want my sins to go out from my life and I want to become more like Jesus every day. So I want to be forgiven and then I want to move forward allowing the Holy Spirit to work in me every day so that I can become somebody who actually gets rid of that sin in my life. Sin is, according to Romans, sin is spiritual cancer. The, the consequence of sin is death, Romans tells us. And so, instead of just saying, well, you know, I've got spiritual cancer, but I'm just going to live with it, we need to want it out of our lives as much as possible. And so I want to try to get rid of those sins, that particular sin that I'm struggling with, all the sin in my life. I want to get rid of that so that I can live in the righteousness of Jesus and enjoy all that He has for me. It's, again, not necessarily an easier life, at least short term, because it's easier just to kind of do what we've always done. But instead, it's a matter of having a vision of wanting to have the righteousness of God in my life as I'm a part of the kingdom of God. Fourth thing is this. I want to be like Jesus by living out the fruit of the Spirit. I want to be like Jesus by living out the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, he lists out love, joy, peace, all the things that are the fruit of the Spirit. And as we not only handle the negative in terms of getting rid of sin, we also want to embrace the positive in seeing all that Jesus desires to do in our lives, to have more love, to have more joy, to have more peace. As we enjoy all that, it's a part of that maturity in Jesus Christ. And so we embrace that and we desire as we do that to have Him, to have Him mature us, to be more and more like Christ. Now, here's where we want to close this morning. As we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, He says right there at the end, Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. We are incredibly blessed financially and materially to live in America. But sometimes the Bible teaches us that material and that financial success can lead to spiritual and moral corruption. And we need to ask this morning, and I want to ask you this morning, over the last week, as you have prayed, how much of your prayers have been, make me comfortable, take care of this problem, get this out of my life, make me comfortable. And how much of your prayers have been, Father, help me to go deep with you. Help me to be closer to you. Help me to have less of that sin. Help me to have more of the Holy Spirit in my life. 
Help me to be more active in the world in fighting the evil that's around me. Help me to see you moving in my life as I go forward. How much of it has been about a comfortable life and how much of it has been about a deep life? And if it has been about a comfortable life, are you not only where Deuteronomy 6 talked about, but are you also where Revelation 3 talked about? I am wealthy. And Jesus says, you're pitiful, poor, blind. Father, I pray this morning that You would help us to recognize when we keep it shallow and when we're just interested in our own comfort. And Father, I pray this morning that we might desire You above all else. Father, help us to go deep with You. I pray in Jesus' name.